Coming up today on the Lockdown Hornets podcast, the Hornets finally get a win. It's been a long time. I don't care if it was against the Knicks. It matters for us. We also play the second half of our Rick Bennell interview from yesterday. Hear him discuss some of the free agents on this team. We give the box score boogie beat down a different name and this. Well, you weren't pinching. I don't think you were pinching a nerve. You were pinching a, a little roll on the side mm. there. A little, <laughs> jelly roll. a little jelly roll, a little love handle. I'll anyway, moving on. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. We live. The losing has finally stopped, at least for the moment. There was a lot of we losses coming our way. We won a game. We it was won brutal. Game. Eight games in a row, the Hornets lost. They finally get a win. Okay, so it's against the New York Knicks, but still, we got the win. Okay, it's at home, but all I hear is win. 97-92. Doug, it was ugly, too. Like, this is nothing to, I think, pound your chest about in the ranks of the NBA, but when you're that bad, when the Hornets had been as bad as they were, I don't... It was an eight-game losing streak, I know. What was it? Was it two out of their last 16? Were those the only wins that they had? I know they had the wins against Dallas. They had the two sandwiched in there, but um, we desperately needed it. And thanks to Terry Rozier, who was the best player in this one. The Hornets have needed a win. They haven't been playing well offensively. They didn't play great offensively last night against the Knicks, but it is nice to finally see them gut out a win and do whatever it takes to get the win. And in this case, it was 30 points from Terry Rozier. It was 27 free throw attempts to the Knicks 11. So they were they were being aggressive, getting to the rim. They were missing at the rim, which I've got a great sort of stat for not really a stat, but just I'd love to look back at some of these losses that they've taken and see how badly they've shot at the rim. I can go through that in a bit, but they were missing at the rim, but they were getting to the line and that's the key. They were gutting it out and they needed this win. The Hornets got it. I'm ready for the stat right now. I mean, if you're going to tease me like that, I'm ready to dive on into it. We Did also have Rick. Speaking of teases, we also have Rick Bennell coming up. He's got some great info on uh, tastier. Yeah, the trade deadlines coming up. Uh, he talks about Marvin Williams. He talks about Bismack Biyombo. So stay tuned for that. But yeah, I was looking back on cleaning the glass at the accuracy for the Charlotte Hornets around the rim, and it has been honestly beyond terrible. The only game uh, since that loss uh, in at the end of December in Memphis, that they've even been above average at rim accuracy was against Orlando a few games ago when they were 51st percentile. They shot 63.6% at the rim. I mean, you should be shooting close to, if you're, if you're a good rim shooting team, you're shooting around 66 to 68% at the rim. Let me just roll off the last few games. Against New York, they were 46.9% at the rim. Against Milwaukee, 44%. Against Orlando, again, they were okay. Denver, 54%. Portland, 50%. Phoenix, 61%. Utah, 53%. So under 60 in so many of these games, uh, they just haven't been effective around the rim, and it's been a full-team effort. It's been Devontae Graham missing at the rim. It's been Cody Zeller. It's been Biz. It's been P.J. Washington, who was 0 of 3 against New York last night at the rim. They just haven't been able to put the ball in the basket when they're close. Yeah, there's a pretty significant drop-off, I would say, from the top three to fourth place, at least as far as people shooting 
two pointers, right? It's not right at the rim. So perhaps um, we need to look at that on NBA.com. But just going to the two point percentage, you have Billy Hernan Gomez, who's been getting a lot more run recently. He's shooting 62% in the two point range. Cody Zeller shooting 58%. Malik, we know, has been very good at the rim this season, shooting 57 And then it goes all the way to Bismack, right? And Bismack is a bigger guy. Should be shooting better than the 54 he is right now. So you go from Malik, who's third on the team at 57, to Bismack right around 54. So pretty interesting to see that kind of bigger guy. And then even a P.J. Washington, just another notable, shooting 51% from two-point range. And if you've been watching this team at all this season, you know a couple of things. One, that they live and die, they live and breathe by Devontae Graham's shooting ability, except on nights like last night when Rozier just really has it cooking. 30 and 10 on the night, first 30 and 10 game on his career. That's that's amazing. Yeah, that, that's been the thing. It's been if both of them aren't hitting, then here comes that L. There's just nothing you can do. Right, but but you also know that this team lives and dies by the three-point shot. And normally when we say that cliche, the live and die by the three-point shot, it's an indication that a team is is taking a lot of threes versus twos, and if they're missing those threes, then they're probably going to lose the game. But in the case of the Charlotte Hornets, they are taking a lot of three-point shots. They, you know, Borrego has modernized this offense in a way that it never was under Steve Clifford. But they're missing so badly from inside the arc that that's why they live and die by the three because their offense inside the arc is so bad. And you still have to hit twos in this league. You got to get to the line. You got to hit your shots around the rim and you have to hit three-point shots if you want to be a competent to excellent offense in the NBA. And the Hornets are missing one vital piece of that. And Ivante has been the biggest surprise as a star this season point percentage. That's the one, right? That's the one that scares you, man. And he hadn't got any better either. In fact, I think the last time I checked in, he was shooting about 37%. Doug, he's shooting 36. I mean, it's, it's, I guess the same, but just even a tick worse. It's been really bad from him. Anytime he doesn't shoot from, from deep range. And we should mention he was one of eight on the night. Oh, of six from three. But if you miss this, he was supposed to be out of this game due to an illness about, uh, say, about an hour before the game. They declared him out. And then all of a sudden he was playing. So he was fighting through that illness, which probably accounts for the poor shooting. He did get to the line six for six free throw attempts, hit three of them, five points on the night, 10 assists. So that's nice. He was still able to maintain that ability to move the basketball despite struggling to score. But, yes, he has to improve around the rim. I'm not sure it happens this season, but it's something – that you definitely expect him to focus on in the offseason. Yeah, Borrego said in his post-game press conference that he was battling something. But I, he also said something interesting to me that Devontae Graham just has a calming presence out there on the court as a second-year player. Even though he did play four years in college, Doug, that's not just coach speak to me. I buy into that. I think that I think that's actually there. Um, yeah, I totally, I buy into the Zen quality of Devonte Graham. Again, he was a four, four year player at Kansas, a, a veteran of, you know, veteran sort of coming into the league. He's in his second year now. So he has that, he has that just calm presence. And also I would attribute that to PJ Washington as well. I don't know if you caught this, but in the fourth quarter, <laughs> he actually, during a free throw, I believe it was Terry Rozier at the line, uh, shooting a second free throw and P.J. Washington has two New York Knicks around him, and he, like, fakes like he's going to go for the rebound and then pulls back, and the two 
Knicks end up blocking each other out, even though the free throw was made. And then as PJ Washington is backing away, he's laughing at them. I mean, this dude is on another left. That's a rookie. He's a rookie. He shouldn't be doing things like that, but it's amazing to see him do things like that because I think it displays that like he has a handle on this whole being a professional athlete and being in the NBA thing that most players don't really have until like year three or four. So that's incredible. No, that's a classic. I, I don't know about the faking and making the guys block out each I was other. Probably, it was like that's an angels cool. in the outfield moment. Yeah. That was great. <laughs> that is right. I laughed. Yeah, it, you, it'd be funny. I'd be on the free throw line getting ready to get the rebound or something, and the coach would just give a little twirly finger, like the sign that a catcher gives to the pitcher if he wants a curveball. And so you would just kind of go around the back on the baseline and get the rebound. P.J. Washington did that perfectly to the point where they just look like fools over there, the New York Knicks. Probably not very hard to do. Got a lot of stuff to talk about regarding the Knicks game last night, but first we will uh, play some of the interview from Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer on the second segment here. It's the Locked on Hornets podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. Final question for me. Uh, when you're in Pauly's Island, could we describe you as sassy? When am I not sassy, <laughs> <laughs> It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Rick, we've talked a lot about Marvin at the trade deadline because I think a lot of people view him as the most valuable, valuable guy that would be most likely to be traded for this Hornets team. But it, what's the likelihood that this might be his last season and he could retire after this year? I had that discussion with him in Paris, and he was very candid in saying that that's on his mind. Uh, Marvin is a thinker and a planner, and he's already been thinking about his second act. Um, He loves international travel. He really likes teaching the game on a very sort of youth-oriented thing. He he said he could never imagine himself signing on for the headaches of big-time coaching. But he's already served an internship with with the league office in international basketball, and he would really like to get involved with some something involving like basketball without borders. And I think it's cool that somebody wants to sort of share his institutional knowledge of basketball on that sort of grassroots way, quite frankly. And there are an awful lot of players who don't think that they need to give back in that way. And I think it's very Marvin that he is intrigued by that. Rick, Coach Borrego, we know, has always been a mad scientist with his lineups. Do you think there's anything Borrego should do differently with his rotation as the season winds down? I want to ask him that tonight. Um, I was thinking about that, that, um, you know, I think all of us who cover the team, maybe overly so, have been focused on, you know, sort of pre and post trade deadline. I'm wondering, and I'm curious what you think about this, like in March and April, you know, after they will be way out of the playoff race, not that they ever really were. I'm wondering, for instance, if this season is supposed to be about sort of turning playing time into a commodity to develop young players, I'm wondering if they shouldn't bring Caleb and um, and McDaniels, you know, down in Charlotte more and spend have them spend less time in Greensboro, maybe even if that means deactivating some veterans for some games. You'd like to find out a little more about those guys if you could in March and April, in my mind. 
Well, and we did with Dwayne Bacon and Devontae Graham last year. How about yeah. Dwayne Bacon at the end of that season? Big parts of what the team was doing now. It didn't mean that Dwayne Bacon was going to be successful this year, but it was pretty impressive to see what he did at the end of that of uh, last season. And Rick, final I, question. I would also we- caution. I would also caution that I think that both Devontae and Bake were a lot closer when they sent them to Greensboro to yeah. being in players than either one of these guys are. No, I would agree with that. I 100% agree with that. Final question for you, Rick. I know that All-Star Weekend is coming up, and it seems like the only way that any Hornets would be involved in anything is maybe Devontae, the three-point contest or anything, but we know that there hasn't been an invitation there. Rising Stars Challenge, though. I mean, P.J. Washington, Devontae Graham being a second, uh, second-year player. What are the chances that both of them are in the Rising Stars Challenge or just overall? Do you think that there's a chance that one of them might be left off of the roster? I think it would it would surprise me a lot if Devante was not invited. Um, I think that PJ may be more dicey, not because he wouldn't be one of the 24, you know, rookies or second year players who you would be intrigued by. But for this, the rules are a little complicated. Um, it rem- It's a USA versus the world format. Um, so there are American players who don't get on, who are probably, you know, ought to be in that circle. And just as importantly, unless this changed this year, remember last year, Ben Simmons was voted, you know, was, was an all-star, but was also left on the rising stars roster. I, I honestly think that that's a ridiculous thing. I don't see what purpose it would serve for Trey Young and Luka Doncic to play in that rising stars exhibition if they're already all-stars in their second season. But if the NBA continues to do what it did last season, I think that's, that's taking up rosters that I spots in rising stars that I really think belong to deserve uh, to go to other people. Thanks again to Rick Bennell as always, always appreciate the time that he spends with us up next. We'll talk a little bit more about the New York Knicks game from last night. Also, I think I got a win in the box score boogie bromance beat down, but I'm not sure. Um, we'll talk about it next on the Locked on Hornets podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. Have you ever had that one little bug that's just like it's not completely out, but it's like kind of dangling in there and then you try to sniff it back up to go away for good, but it's just it'll it'll keep popping back. That's what I'm going through right now. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Walker, I don't know if you saw this story pregame. Not a Hornet story. Go to the other side of the floor in the New York Knicks. R.J. Barrett, uh, in honor of Kobe Bryant, uh, his tragic passing, does not want to be called Maple Mamba anymore. He's asked everyone, all of the, the, the throngs of people that we're calling him. You know, we've called him this several times. I feel like every episode we mention R.J. Barrett, Maple Mamba. Uh, he doesn't want to be called that anymore. So I'm telling everyone that's listening to this podcast, stop making that part of your daily routine to call R.J. Barrett Maple Mamba. Poor R.J. I don't know. I don't, man. I mean, was it just that, was that daunting of a task to take on that mantra of being the Maple Mamba? I didn't even I know. I mean, apparently this might be like an insidery New York Knicks mm-hmm. basketball thing, but that's what he was being called. Uh, you know, a little known fact. They actually, I'll respect it. I'll tell you that. Yeah. They used to call me Maple Syrup Mamba, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that was just due to me gorging on pancakes daily. I was going to say, was that, were you ever bigger? I mean, were you always this size? Were you ever a little bit fatter back in the day eating on some pancakes and syrup? 
Oh well, I mean, I yeah, I mean, I've I've, I've had my I've had yeah, my ups and downs. Nerve, do we not want to go there? I used to be fat. It's okay. Well, you weren't Bryce. pinching. I don't think you were pinching a nerve. You were pinching a, a little roll on my side mm. there. A little, <laughs> jelly roll. A little jelly roll. A little love handle. I'll anyway, on moving on. Um, Who won I, the box score beat down bromance, Doug? I, I'll i tell you. You're tired of saying the name. You're tired of saying. I can tell it in your voice, that tone of voice that you just had. You barely even tried to get all four of the Bs right. So I, I have a proposal for you before we reveal. It's the, a battle boogie beatdown. I'm all here for it. I, I think you missed. I think you messed it up again. But so I uh, have. I have a suggestion for you. It is. It is the box score bromance battle beatdown. But I think we can simplify this. A fun game with a tough name to say here, and and that's important in podcasting. So I. There are four Bs in the name, and we are selecting four Hornets or four Bs. So I think mm. we can call it the Four Bs Challenge. Okay. Do you okay. like that? It's a little easier to say. But we don't lose the original name because I kind of like it, even though I can't remember it. But at least we can just abbreviate it. That's what you're saying? Right. It will technically be the box score, bromance, battle, beatdown. It's just we're going to call it the Four Bs Challenge so that or four B's for short. And just, are you sure that boogie's not in there? I'm sure. I'm certain that you're thinking of box right. score boogie, which is a segment from the old oh. version oh, of classic. the locked on Hornets slash hive talk live podcast. That's the, the, the ridge people will know the box score boogie, but we don't really do that anymore. We used to play that on the wake up call early in the morning when you would send it our way. We like to play the box score boogie. It was a good game, but now I like this game. game though. I like this little fantasy aspect to it. So should right, we should I'm we down. reveal the results? I'm down. Let's play the box score bromance boogie beat down. Let's go, Doug. What All do you right, got? here here are the results of the four beast challenge again. If you didn't listen yesterday, I selected Devonte Grant. Well, actually, Walker, you had the first pick and you took Malik Monk as your high box score. I took Devonte Graham. And then you took Batum as your low, and I took Miles Bridges as my low. Graham had 12 total box score points. Malik Monk had 16, so you win that. I thought I was going to get DQ'd for the high after Graham was declared out. <laughs> but then he then he decided to play. But speaking of DQ, you selected Batum as your low. He got the DNP, which means that the healthy DNP, after starting against Milwaukee, it's a little odd. Yeah. But uh, he gets the DQ. They played Cody Martin instead. So you get the DQ and Bridges had 20. Bridges actually had a nice game here. I'd love to talk about that for a second. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty, yeah, well, because we pile on this guy. So I feel like it's only fair yeah. that we talk about when he has a good game, but he had 20 total box score points. I win that one despite uh, him having a great game. I win that low challenge uh, because Batum was DQ'd. So we go one and one, we tie. I still lead overall six to two. Yeah, well, Miles Bridges, it, not only did he actually show up, but he showed up in a game we kind of needed him to because there wasn't a whole lot of scoring. It was Terry Rozier giving it 30, and in a game that Devontae Graham really struggled, in a game that P.J. Washington really struggled, where both of those guys are usually good for double digits, Miles was the guy that was able to pick up some of the slack and shot 40% from three, 60% from the field. You have talked about his inefficiency when you struggle. Of course, that's one thing that you have to look at, but Miles... You're right, Doug. Not only was he good, but he was good when they needed him and they needed a win. And he was good in the third quarter. And it was an important third quarter because they didn't get off to a great start in this game. And then they recovered well and uh, scored over 30 points in the second quarter. And then you come out in the second half and it's like, all right, what Hornets team is going to come out in this second half? Do they have what it takes to get a win against a bad team at home? And he scored three buckets in the third quarter. One was a corner three off of, honestly, a really smart play that they ran for him to beat the Knicks zone. Uh, wide open in the corner. Props to 
really, it was Devontae Graham, Rozier attracting a lot of attention up top. And then uh, PJ with just a nice, perfectly timed cut inside to pull the defender away from Bridges as he was racing baseline and switching sides of the floor. So he nails the open three there. And then he got a tough right-handed floater in the lane. I don't love that shot, but he made it. Then he has a nice baseline yam in transition, one of the hardest dunks he's had all season. It was off of the Knicks miss, but it was him and Devontae Graham running the floor. I would have loved to see him just get his feet in position where he could stop and pop from the corner again for another three. Instead, he kind of had all of his momentum going forward. So, you know, love the play, but I think as you move forward, you want to see him hit that open corner three as opposed to taking it inside for the dunk. But he hasn't shot well, so it's like a balancing thing. Like, I'd love, you know, ideally I'd want him to take the corner three, but, you know, he probably hit the higher percentage shot there. Yeah, and one thing I like about this game, more so than anything, Doug, is when they're not hitting shots, James Borrego acknowledged this really first and foremost in the post-game press conference. He said, yeah, anytime you can get a win when you only shoot 38%, you know, you'll take it. But they out-rebounded the New York Knicks, which is something I don't think you should have expected at least coming in here because the Knicks are a team that's, I believe, seventh in rebounding in the entire NBA. And the Charlotte Hornets, we know they're very bad. Every once in a while, they'll surprise you. But this is one of those, I think. This is a time where, because they decided to sign 15 power forwards this past offseason, right? That's the classic joke. But they have a lot of size, and yet they, I think, were out-rebounded. But was it 11 last night that the Hornets got over them? I mean, that's impressive. Yeah, they. so the Knicks have Mitchell Robinson, who I'm legit jealous of. I'm sorry that he has oh, to play good, in New man. York. Like he's him. so good. And uh, he was doing his thing. But then you had Billy Hernan Gomez. For all of his struggles defensively, he's actually a decent rebounder. He had a double-double in this game, 12 and 10. Zeller had a double-double, 10 and 10. And then... Uh, Rozier actually, after the game, credited PJ's late rebounding for helping to seal the win in the fourth quarter. But I want to go back to Zeller real quick. I was reading this on the stand. I honestly couldn't believe it. This is, yeah. for this season, it's a career-high eighth double-double for Cody Zeller. That's, a, that's crazy, right? Yeah, that's traditional box score for you, Doug. As well as, I think, in this game, Cody Zeller... Moved to fourth place all time on the Hornets franchise that, rebounding list. That doesn't surprise me because despite no. his injury history, he has played a lot. I mean, he's played a lot of minutes for this franchise since being drafted by them. So I get that. I just can't believe that he has not had more than seven double doubles in a season for the Charlotte. It, it is a reminder that Zeller has this weird history with this franchise where he has been not a starter, but not a bench player. You know, he lives in this weird amorphous zone purgatory where he's only a starter as long as they don't have somebody better. It's just a weird history for him as a player. Yeah. And, and I, I think, I think I view him as a starter more than you do in the NBA. Like I, I think I'm cool with Cody Zeller being the five a little bit more, but I'm with you in the fact that, I mean, you're certainly right. So that it's not can, like he's putting out crazy stats. Yeah. He can start. That's how I view. He can start. So if if you define starter as player that can start on an NBA roster, then yes, I think he could start for a lot of teams in the NBA. But if you define starter as a player that you look at and say, this guy has to start for my team at that position, I don't know. It hasn't been true of the Hornets because they have been willing in almost every season that he's played for the franchise, they've been willing to move him to a bench role at a whim. 
Looking at total rebounds, I was wrong about the 11. It was actually about 14 for them, 63 to 49. The Hornets out-rebounded the New York Knicks. That is a surprise. And James Borrego talked about um, that even if you're not hitting shots, they got the rebounds. Devontae Graham contributed in a way. Even if he, uh Yeah, even if he did not um, hit a lot of shots in this one. And Malik Monk, here's another game for him where he wasn't terribly efficient from the field, but at the end of that first half, he's the guy that, kind of erased a lot of that deficit and put yeah. them in position in the second half. So Malik Monk at the end, at least looked pretty good. I, I want to ask you this though, Doug, it's, it's the point I wanted to lead in with, but then you made the rules about the four B's and I got excited about the new name change. But the point I wanted to make was, have you started to watch these games differently because of the four B's now it's like, okay, yeah, Malik Monk's got an assist. Oh, wait, is it to Miles Bridges? No. <laughs> That's what I'm looking at. I, Are you paying attention to, at, at all that way? I don't. I don't, honestly. I, I, you know, with, with all of these, you know, f- uh, fantasy games, I try to stay as neutral as possible. I, I want Malik Monk to succeed. I want Miles Bridges to succeed because, <laughs> I mean, Charlotte needs a winning sports franchise. I saw Scott Fowler do this article in, in the Charlotte, or I guess it's a not an article, let's say, what do you call it? A column in the Charlotte Observer discussing which of the professional franchises will be a winning franchise first, the MLS, the Panthers, or the Hornets. And, I mean, it's it's just it's sad that Charlotte doesn't have a professional franchise right now that they can really hang their hat on and say, this, this is a, a dub, this is a, a win. I can go and watch these guys win. So, I mean, I, I really want this franchise to get back on track. I know it's going to take time. Uh, I feel like they're moving in the right direction, though. Um, not me. I just want the guys that I choose to do well. And that's well, that's because you're down four points. See, I don't watch it like that because I know I'm winning. Yeah, 100%. Winning. Uh, I want to come back and I need to gain some ground on you. Did not last night after finishing one and one. Real quickly, the outlook for this team right now, two-game road trip up ahead for the Hornets. Wednesday, they go to Washington to visit the Wizards. Then on Saturday, they are in San Antonio. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcast. Google Podcasts and Spotify. Make sure you follow us on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Walker Mail. Doug on Twitter at Doug Branson, L-O-H. And follow the show handle on Twitter at Locked on Hornets. We'll be back with you tomorrow.